Hello and welcome to episode 7 of The Emmy Show. My name's Gary Burgess and together with the Emmy Association, I hope this series helps shine a light on different aspects of Emmy. Thanks for your feedback on last week's episode when I met Trish, who has severe Emmy. It was a real privilege to speak to her and learn about both her and her daughter's circumstances. I know Trish was rather nervous about how she'd come across, but... As I suspected, you, like me, thought she was a real star. I received so many messages, simply grateful that somebody with severe symptoms was sharing their story, and particularly messages from people who understood how much it must have taken out of Trish to do that interview. So thank you, Trish, and thanks to you for your feedback it's really appreciated. Please keep those thoughts and comments coming. You'll find me on Twitter at Gary Burgess CI, and please use the hashtag The ME Show. This week, I speak to Emma Donohoe. She's 24 years old and was diagnosed with ME at the age of 19, having fallen ill a couple of years earlier. She's the person who presented the BBC Newsbeat documentary called ME and Me, which won widespread praise earlier this year for its accurate portrayal of this illness. If you've not seen it, I highly recommend it. We'll hear from Emma in just a moment, but first, a small taste of that documentary. It doesn't bother me to pass out. I do it so, so much. It's... Right, I'm not going to do anything to make you pass no, out. No, it's fine if it's going to help with the data. Some people, when they stand up, their blood pressure drops and their pulse races to try to make up for it. And we're trying to see whether that happens with everyone. She was embarrassed of her illness, which is like... If you imagine someone with cancer being embarrassed they have cancer, it's just ridiculous. Emmy affects around 250,000 people in the UK. The second he starts getting loud again, obviously, he's out the door because, you know, it, it's, it's just agony for her. Uh, and it's something that she hates. It's something that she thinks she's a bad mother because she can't stand his own voice. What kind of mother can't tolerate her own child? It often develops in your late teens or early 20s. It's more common in women, and even the government accepts it's a poorly understood illness. Doctors just not being aware or even confident about how to diagnose this illness. I'm Emma Donohoe, and I was diagnosed with ME in 19. At its worst, it left me bedbound. I'm still not 100%, but after five years of recovery, I'm finally feeling much better than I did. I'm finding out what life is like for other ME sufferers. They don't believe you. You're fighting the illness, but then you're fighting every health professional. I'll visit the labs at the forefront of research who are trying to find a breakthrough to make life better for those living with this hugely debilitating condition. She still never gave up hope. She never, ever gave up hope. Emma Donohoe, welcome to the ME Show. How are you today? I am very well, thank you, Gary. Thank you for having me on. Hey, it's my absolute pleasure. It really is. For the past few weeks, wherever I've looked online, if I've logged onto my iPlayer app, and then over the bank holiday weekend when I was watching the news channel, you're <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a very uh, surreal experience to see your face. 
just just in all the uh, on TV and in in a few newspapers. It's uh, it's very surreal. And for people who don't know, you mm-hmm. are the, the the star, the narrator, the presenter of of Emmy and Me, uh, a documentary originally done for for Newsbeat, wasn't it? For for the BBC Radio One's Newsbeat service. Yeah, it was originally. Yeah, it was. It's made for uh, BBC Newsbeat. You can you can find it on iPlayer under the Radio One section, and it's just a, a twenty eight minute. A documentary about what it's like to live with Emmy as a young person. Uh, I love how you say just a twenty-eight minute documentary, like you <laughs> like you threw it together in half an hour. <laughs> how how did you get involved in this in the first place? Quite early on into my diagnosis of Emmy, I, I really thought one day I want to make a documentary just to expose what it is like to live with this condition because I couldn't believe that it was th- this condition, this illness is so debilitating so horrible and not many people know about it and I just thought one day in the in the future when I'm a little bit better when I when I'm able to I just want to show the world this is what Emmy is it is horrendous and we need to do something about it and you have just just rewind a bit for me so how old are you now and how old were you when when symptoms came on that you now know are Emmy I just had my 24th birthday and my symptoms really began at about 18. I was diagnosed officially at around 19, but mm-hmm. what triggered my ME, like a lot of sufferers, was glandular fever. Yeah. And I had that at 17. That started around about my 17th birthday. And then for a year after that, once I got over the glandular fever, I just never got better. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of post-viral fatigue and a lot of flu-like symptoms for a further year. And I pushed and pushed and pushed because all the doctors were saying, you're young, you're healthy, just get more exercise, just eat a little better, you'll be fine. Just just keep on pushing, keep on doing what you're doing and you'll be fine. And of course, I wasn't. And I pushed myself into what I now know is ME. It's it's like Groundhog Day, this podcast at times. The number of yeah. times I'm talking to people, <laughs> and the same with myself as well, you know, your instinct and, and the medical advice to push yourself is is actually mm. an act of self-harm. It's the very worst thing you can do. How how bad did things get at, at whatever that, that worst point was for you, and how mm. does that compare to today? My worst, uh, it was probably around about my 20th birthday. That was when Miami was at, was at its worst. Um I remember I could I could leave the house for a doctor's appointment if it was once a month. That was that was like my max, and that was the only time I could ever leave the house was to see a doctor or to try and go out for. I used to do acupuncture, just a small treatment like that. Once a month was my maximum. Um, I remember I had to sit down in the shower because even just standing up and washing my hair, washing my body for ten minutes would just crash me out for days afterwards. Um, I what I call sofa bound which I would either usually go from my bed I would sleep in excess of about 15 hours a night wake up walk downstairs sometimes I would literally have to slide down on my bottom because <laughs> the, the pains in my thighs were just just too bad even to just manage the stairs and I would just spend the whole day crashed out on the sofa often in a state of what felt like unconsciousness I was awake but I just wasn't really the present and, and and I'm guessing from the fact that you've managed to summon the the energy to to produce this documentary, you are you are in a, a better state now. How how have you got from there to now? Is this any kind of intervention from from medics? Is this about you learning and understanding pacing and and being kind to yourself? Nothing. 
nothing really came from my doctor, unfortunately. I think he wanted to help, but he just, all the only resources he was able to give me was CBT or graded exercise therapy. Yeah. Um, I I have used pacing quite a lot throughout my illness, and that has definitely helped prevent a crash because I, I I was in a what I called a bust and boom phase for quite a few years when I would I'd have the energy all of a sudden to go and do something, so then I'd rush and do something, but then I'd be crashed for days afterwards, if not weeks. Um, but it was a combination of pacing, um, a lot of nutrition work, which I I touched on in the doc, um, and a lot of alternative treatments, which over five years consistently when I've been sticking with them have slowly but surely started to make a difference um trying trying to slowly manage the condition and trying to make improvements has always felt it's like taking two steps forward one step back yeah so it has been very gradual over the past five years I have made quite a significant um improvement and how are you now I mean how are you literally today I I I don't want to say I'm okay, touch wood, but I seem to be doing okay. Isn't it weird um, how you don't want to say you feel like okay? I feel like oh, that as yeah. well. It's like tempting fate, but you are allowed to say it, you know, Emma. Yeah, it's it's yeah, tempting fate exactly. Um I seem to be okay. I think uh I, I did have very um I, I started off with mild ME and I pushed myself into quite severe ME for about a year or two. And then over the time, I think I have been able to reduce some of my symptoms to where I am now, more of a milder case. Um, the only time I really feel my ME symptoms come back with full force is when I have a cold or a virus or I pick up some sort of stomach bug. Um, I always seem to be run down for a lot longer than what, say, a normal person would. Like A, a common cold for me would last roughly about two weeks um, and during those two weeks, forget it. I have to lie on the sofa, get back on Netflix, shut off the world. That That's me for two weeks. I'm out. I've been speaking to people with ME, but my goodness, you have been right on the front line speaking to people in some desperate situations, uh, but mm. also on the front line of, of the the medical efforts to try and find out what this thing is. Uh, the the Newsbeat documentary, for people who haven't seen it, just, just paint a little bit of a picture as to, as to what's in that 28 minutes. Throughout the doc is a little bit of my own story peppered through, but the main focus is me meeting other young people who suffer with this illness. I meet a young girl called Hannah, who is 20, who's been living with very severe ME for six years. Um, I also meet a young mum called Sophie, who's also in her early 20s. And I also meet the family of a young girl called Meryn Crofts, who I think a lot of your listeners will have read about in the news recently. Absolutely. The, uh, the, the inquest concluded that... Emmy was the cause of her death, a, a, a tragic story, but a, I, I guess a privilege for you to meet the family. As you can imagine, just, just hearing the story, especially straight from her mother, was just, it was heartbreaking. It was very, very emotional, but I, I'm so glad her story got to be told. Um, I was, yeah, honoured and privileged to be able to include uh, Maren's story in the documentary. I went off to uni literally two weeks after Merrin first started displaying her symptoms with the swelling. First time I came home, she maybe was struggling to speak. The second time I came home, she was wheelchair bound. The next time I'd come home after that, she was housebound. So I got to see the contrasts. She couldn't walk, she was only 15, 16. And people go, what's that? I've never heard of that. And then you explain about it and they go, oh yeah, is that what used to be up your flu? It's like, oh God, you can't even, that doesn't even begin to describe the, the smallest symptom of it. What 
impact did this have along the way? We'll, we'll come on to the impact of the overall documentary and the response mm. in a little while. But as you're going along there with with a, I'm assuming a, a, a fairly small film crew um, mm. doing these these interviews and and reflecting on them afterwards, what impact is that having on you? I really went into went into this documentary curious because throughout my illness, I really did segregate myself from everyone. I was. I occasionally um, went on to online forums and spoke to other uh, sufferers of ME and asked for advice and tips and, and just, just for a bit of um, companionship, really. Uh, it's nice to be able to talk to other people who know exactly what you're going through. But excluding that, I hadn't been around anyone else with ME in about four or five years. So I went into this documentary just curious, a little bit hopeful that things might have at least started to change or move in the right direction. But throughout the course of the documentary... Ah, I just started to become very frustrated. I left the documentary, quite frankly, feeling quite angry and frustrated at the situation. The the situation that Hannah and Sophie and, and what happened to Merrin, all of that was just... I, there's no words to describe um, how I really felt whilst, whilst filming that. It was... It was just a mixture of just utter... I felt, I felt quite numb on some days. I just felt completely... I, I can't deal with this. This is just too much. But by the end, I was just quite frustrated with the the whole situation, really. I guess um, a, a sense of helplessness because you, you want yeah. to be able to be there to do something to help them, but actually there isn't anything you can do. Mm. Yeah, exactly. You, you, that's I that that's exactly how I felt. Uh, I I just wanted to help them. I just wanted to say, oh, don't worry. You know, we we can get you some help. We can. I know this great doctor. I know this great treatment. But, but I couldn't. And and that was yeah. That I just felt helpless completely helpless was there a sense where you were thinking this could be me i i have to really focus on my own well-being or was it there but for the grace of god go i that that my me right now isn't that serious how did it feel it it definitely took me back i was expecting it to a little bit as well i was when i when i first met hannah uh, the young lady you're talking about who is who is currently um bedbound it did bring me back to when i was was bedbound it was for a very short period just for i'd say about 5 6 months when i was just couldn't get out of bed but it, it certainly took me back to how it felt and i hadn't I hadn't been there in many many years but it's surprising how the smallest trigger can just just take you back to how it felt so how are you feeling today hannah um not great i've been doing a lot over the past week more than usual um, and also I've been withdrawing from um, my migraine control medicine because I can't take it anymore because I vomit it up. Hannah I don't know um, and you just need to nod you don't need to do anything further but how is getting up at the moment that's a real struggle? I can pass out a lot but I can do it I would do it for the test data because of it doesn't bother me to pass out I do it so so much I did feel incredibly lucky to just to be standing there um I never ever thought I would say this about myself but in terms of Miami oh I've been so lucky I've been so lucky that I have made improvements and I have been able to get myself from where I was when I was diagnosed to where I am today it was a very bittersweet experience it was it was so lovely to to meet all these people and to really try and tell their story and but at the same time it was just a hard situation to be in. Yeah, of course, of course. You got to uh, you got to meet Charles Shepherd and and, mm. and find out about the biobank as well. What was that experience like? Um, that that was that was great. I I was very happy we were able to include something, um, quite positive in the documentary. Um, I 
I met all the the staff and the doctors and the researchers who are working at the biobank. And I can honestly say they are wonderful people and they are 100 percent committed to Emmy and to help finding one day something that that might help Emmy sufferers. Uh, that was and it was so wonderful to hear that they're actually looking for a biological marker, something physical that could be causing Emmy. Mm-hmm. That was something I'd never heard before. <laughs> that That was revolutionary to me. That was incredibly exciting. As you got through the other side of this, so b- before the documentary was broadcast, you've been doing all of this filming, and I, and I guess to whatever extent involved in the production of the finished documentary, how how knackering and sapping and fatiguing and, and damaging to your health in the short term, hopefully, was that process? Well, during the filming, I... I got a very nasty cold and I also got food poisoning and I also got some other like weird virus, which I don't think I would have got if I hadn't been really pushing myself physically and emotionally. So I think that definitely was, was the knock on effect from, from really pushing myself to make, to make the doc. After the documentary, I definitely had a week off (laughs) to myself (laughs) just to kind of, just to reflect on what I'd kind of been through to physically just to kind of take care of myself and to, to let my body just recuperate a bit, but also mentally and, and emotionally just kind of reflect on what I'd, I'd kind of been through. I hate to use this word, but it, it was a journey. It was it was an incredible but very, very draining journey to, to go on. Yeah, I hate the journey word. I think the X factor has ruined it for us all. But but actually, yeah. sometimes journey is the very best description. And, and it is a mm. journey that culminates in a documentary. The very mm. first time you saw it, do you remember what your reaction was beyond, I guess, feeling nervous beforehand? I guess my first reaction was, oh, wow, it's actually real. <laughs> it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Something I've been thinking about in my mind for years and years and years is, is actually happened. Um, I was excited to share it, but I also became very conscious of the fact that some people might not like it. That that was my biggest worry, that other people in the community might not uh, like the documentary because we get so little a chance. We get very few platforms to talk about this illness, to kind of raise awareness. And I, I was... 100% aware of of what what this would mean to other people in the community and that that pressure that I was constantly thinking about was was, was quite um stressful when I first saw the documentary I thought I'm happy with it I think the whole the whole team everyone involved really made something special but I just hope other people in the community um like it really <laughs> Do you know what, Emmy? You're spot on. I, I feel that every time I do anything, whether it's an interview or a podcast, that sense that I hope I've said the right things. I hope I've not missed something important out because the, there are people who, who are desperate to get the right message out all the time. But we're also all human and we'll occasionally make mistakes. But I don't think you made any mistakes in that in that documentary. I, I found it a, a thoroughly fascinating enriching enlightening piece of telly what what's the feedback been then touch wood <laughs> so far so good it, the feedback has been very very well especially what all i'm concerned about is other people in our community and so far everyone who's reached out on twitter everyone who sent me a message or i've seen uh, posting about the doc have has overall been been very positive which I, I cannot describe how much that means to me. Um, and, and everyone involved in the documentary, from the producer to the camera operator, we all knew how important this documentary was, was and 
to have such positive feedback is honestly it's meant the world to everyone involved and have you heard back from any of those people that you met in your documentary I have yes um I have um heard a lot back from uh, Hannah um she unfortunately right now has uh, been admitted into hospital since filming the documentary I've, I've I've kept in contact with her just to see what um see what's going on really I'm really pleased you've stayed in touch that's a really nice thing to come out of it I know there's all the other good stuff as well mm. but but forming a friendship like that is is a really good thing to do where do you go from here with this? You know, you've you've got this piece of work now. It's out there. People can see it on iPlayer. They can see it on YouTube. They can share it around. Who knows? It might get another airing on network television at some point. But do you have ambitions to do any more, or or is that it for you now, Emma? Um, I'm not quite sure. Uh, originally, this was just a definitely it was a standalone piece. I'd never done any sort of TV or journalism, any any anything in that industry before. But after making this documentary and seeing the positive effect that it can have, I am hopeful that especially some sort of continued piece on ME will will happen in the future. Um, no idea what that will involve or what it will look like, but I am very keen on keeping ME in the spotlight, keeping it relevant, keeping it in the, the public's uh, subconscious. Well, as, as as the first effort goes, I think you've beaten most of us on this planet in terms of raising awareness, so you should be delighted with that. Where do you feel about Emmy now as a result of meeting these various people, including the medics? How how hopeful are you for the future for this illness? Definitely meeting meeting the, the scientists at the biobank and um, going to Addenbrooke's. It definitely has made me feel that we are finally moving in the right direction. I can't really say that a lot of progress substantial progress has been made especially since I was diagnosed five years ago but I at least now think we're starting to slowly move in the right direction the fact that the NICE guidelines are being reviewed and all this biological research is taking place I I am I am quite hopeful I did I did leave the documentary horrified sad and frustrated what I saw but also with a little bit of hope of things are starting to move things are starting to move forward yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I think it's not getting carried away that it's all going to be mended tomorrow because it's not. But I think being hopeful about progress is, is a positive, useful thing to, to have and to feel. Let's end the podcast with your most shameless plug for your documentary. So if <laughs> if somebody's not seen it yet, if they were thinking, I might see it, I might not, but they've been listening to you for the last 20 minutes or so, and they're now tempted, go on, this is your platform, sell the documentary. Thank you very much, Gary. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the documentary—it's uh, very short. It's very—it's very watchable. Um, it really—it it just shows what it is like to live with this condition from all sides of the spectrum, from what it is like to live with ME as someone who has it is very severe to someone as myself, a more milder case. And it really is a powerful insight at what it is like not only to live with this condition, but how it affects the people around you, your your parents, your carers, uh, your relatives and your family. And it also shows all the research that is currently taking place in the UK, which is a global effort. So what's happening right now at the Biobank is it's cutting edge. It's leading. It, it's the leading research that's happening in the world right now. And I think if you are someone who suffers from ME, and even if you yourself haven't watched the documentary and you're quite apprehensive about watching it because of course it's going to be a very emotional watch show this documentary to your family show it to your friends to help them get a better insight at what your life is like of what dealing with this illness 
is like I think it's a very good tool to to show to your friends and family to to show to someone who maybe doesn't know what ME is to say this is the condition yes please 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 watch it and please share it we we need more awareness and we the more people it reaches the better because the more awareness it is creating of this condition Emma you should work in marketing that was brilliant (laughs) (laughs) Thank you you so much for joining me on the ME show today. I wish you only success, both in your health and with your career. And and please keep us up to date with any developments as well, won't you? Oh, I will do. Thank you very much, Gary. The wonderful Emma Donohoe. And if that has tempted you to watch ME and Me, you'll find it on the BBC iPlayer or on YouTube. Just search Newsbeat ME and Me. I'll also put a link in the show notes that come with this podcast. You'll find those show notes at meassociation.org.uk slash podcast. That's meassociation.org.uk slash podcast. And that's where you'll also find all the episodes in this series and is the single best link to share with others. If you're able to post it onto your Facebook or your Twitter feed or share it with friends and family, that would be just amazing as we continue to try and spread the word about the podcast. Next time on The Emmy Show, I meet Greg Crowhurst, a nurse, a musician and an author who's now a full-time carer to his wife Linda who has severe ME. Greg's searingly honest account of life as a carer is one which really got to me actually and highlights the often hidden world of those who give up their time and look after those closest to them. Do join me for that if you can. Until then, I'm Gary Burgess, this is The Emmy Show, and as always, thank you for listening. Listening.